All right, we are live. Another episode of Monero Talk. Uh, I am pleased to announce today we have JT Grassi on the show. Uh, Jethro Grassi, JT Grassi on Twitter and elsewhere uh, throughout the interwebs. Uh, he is a Monero developer. Uh, I assume among many other things. I, I'm not exactly sure what his background is and how much he wants to reveal today. But uh, Jethro, if you give a quick introduction of yourself. So yeah, hi. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I call myself a developer first and foremost. Um, uh, that's, that's my thing. I love software engineering. I've been doing it since I was a kid, as many other software developers have. Um, although I don't get to do much development in my day job these days. Um, hence why I like doing things like coding on Monero in my free time. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's kind of it. I, I haven't been developing with Monero that long, not since, not since the, the very early days, but, um, did you start, did you start in Monero? Did you start in Bitcoin? So I got into Bitcoin quite early on, um, but actually from quite a different angle, not from a coding perspective. Um, so my day job has a lot to do with, uh, uh, social influence and um, so we use a lot of tools um, to basically track or we, well, certainly then we were anyway to track uh, like sentiment online uh, for brands and stuff like that it's all, all, all rather uninteresting but um, when Bitcoin started taking off so I suppose I got into it really first started getting into it when I can't remember the year. I'm terrible with years, but I can remember the price. Um, so it was when it was trading at about 40 bucks. I think I bought my first Bitcoin when they were like 40 bucks. Oh, wow. That was probably um, like 2012 or something, maybe. Yeah. And, and I kind of, I, I loved it from a tech perspective. So I was obviously really interested from, you know, um, an internet money um, standpoint. But I was also interested from uh, another angle, which was the, the price and what was affecting the price. So like I, I started, I, I used to hang out, I still do hang out on some, some, some kind of more niche areas of the internet, should I say. And, um, and I started seeing kind of dark posts from groups of people that were basically creating basically doing pump and dumps, very early day pump and dumps. And the way that they were doing that was basically feeding uh, stories to, 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 to the media and on social channels. And I just noticed that like, you know, these were very coordinated as well, very coordinated kind of pump and dumps in the very early days uh, amongst relatively small groups of, of people. And so I started tracking sentiment online of Bitcoin. Uh, I, you know, I fed a couple of different tools, like a number of different channels, and was just watching the sentiment on Bitcoin and was basically making trades based on the sentiment. And I kind of went from one Bitcoin to quite a lot of Bitcoin. Um, it's, it, you know, it's nothing I'm particularly proud of. It's certainly not something that, that I participate in in these days with ICOs and pump and dumps and all those kind of scams. But um, I just I just found it a very interesting social experiment at the time. 
Are you still following and tracking the sentiment using these same tools? No, or? no not at all. I, you know, I got very bored with it very quickly. Um, I get bored with things very quickly. And, and once I've kind of proven to myself that, oh, shit, yeah, look, you can, like, you can basically make money out of, of, of doing pump and dumps. What were I don't even think they were called pump and dumps then, but certainly there was this notion that you could affect the price of, of Bitcoin. And so it was interesting for a while, but trading's not my thing. I don't enjoy trading. It's like, it's not something, and, and, and getting involved in these kind of pump and dump scams isn't my thing either. So I got very bored of it very quickly and, and got out of Bitcoin actually. And, um, and really ignored it for, for, for a few years, um, to peripherally tracking it. And then I came across uh, Monero. Uh, I saw a few uh, a few posts on Bitcoin Talk. So um, just to go back for so, but the te- the tech at the time didn't really grab you, uh, even in Bitcoin, or just like kind of the the no. underlying, I uh, you know what it was trying to do. Did it you, did. Did you have that? Uh, you know, I, I read the Satoshi white paper and I fell down yeah. the rabbit hole. Did you have that moment? Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, it did. But like at the time, I didn't have. A huge amount of time to delve into the to, to delve into the code base um, so I was really looking at it from a higher level and, and and as I say I was looking at it from a social perspective early on as opposed to like my kind of core love which is, is software engineering I didn't really get into it from a from a code perspective at all um, and uh, so yeah, it was very, very high level. Uh, and as I say, from a social perspective. Um, and then when Monero, when I started seeing posts on CryptoNote and Monero, so some years later, so <laughs> I, can, I can only go on price again. Uh, so when Monero was $60 um, was, was this time. So I don't know when that was, 2016, 2017? Maybe? Yeah, I think maybe 2016. So something, something around then. Uh, well, this time I did get hooked on from from the technical side of it because, you know, I knew I knew some of the shortcomings of Bitcoin, um, particularly the um, the transparent ledger. Um, you know, by this time as well, obviously there was chain analysis companies. You know, it was it was rife basically. Like a lot of the a lot of the early kind of things that people were saying Bitcoin was so great for actually turned out to be uh, a load of uh, a load of crap basically <laughs> um, and and so I, I started delving into Monero a lot more from a from a comparison standpoint I guess and so I was looking at the code of Monero um, and that's really when I got hooked um, you know my, my I guess my my favorite languages to code in are C and C++. Um, and, you know, although the code base of Monero isn't perfect, uh, you know, there's certainly areas for improvement and obviously people are continuously Im- improving it. Um, I started to see things straight away that like I could jump in on and, and basically with, with a relatively minimal amount of my own time, um, contribute into it and you know essentially help help everybody um and the- 
first thing that I tackled actually, which was so I, I bought my first Monero at $60 using the Kamata Online tools. And one of the first things that, that grabbed me was the fact that, um, that the command line tools didn't have readline, uh, you know, the, the GNU readline library uh, implemented. So like, you know, hitting up arrow, um, which was the, the pri my primary use case for readline um, to get to past, past commands that I've ran obviously didn't work. So, uh, so I tackled that first, which seemed like on the face of it, something fairly easy to tackle. Uh, actually, <laughs> It wasn't it, it wasn't as easy as as I could have hoped, um, but uh, but yeah, I managed to do that, and and I had a, and also had also had a really good experience of my first contribution as well. Um, so Monero um, Mu uh, was you know he he's he's great. I mean he 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 has a a, a, a good sense of natural um, not hostility. That's the wrong word. Um, distrust, maybe uh, initially, um, but but he was great, and like we we you know we we started forming some kind of rapport, and also um, HYC Howard Chu. I mean, he's he's an absolute legend, um, and he he also gave you know got involved in some of the discussions around uh, Readline as well, and actually has helped improve it as well. So, so I had a very, very good experience with my first contribution to Monero, so kind of stuck with it. I'd love to spend a lot more time on it. Um, unfortunately, I have a day job. I also have a daughter. Um, <laughs> and so I don't get as much time as I'd like to, but, but what time I do have, I, I spend either contributing to the code base, which is, you know, not very much, or doing other stuff with Monero, whether that be um, answering people's questions on Stack Exchange. Um, I spent a, a fair bit of time recently on mining, um, on a mining pool, um, which has been which has been really fun. And so, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, this is a show I've been wanting to do for quite some time, talking about the perfectly uh, hiding versus computationally binding. Um, Something that I learned about, I guess, about a year ago, I would hear I didn't really get it. I, and then I, I kind of it became the thing that I was trying to learn about uh, because it seemed like Monero's biggest flaw. Uh, I mean, if you talk to any Bitcoin maximalist uh, that's kind of in the know, that's what they'll go. You know, if you're in a debate with them regarding Monero versus Bitcoin, it kind of ends up being the, the, the one uh, point of contention that you really can't formulate an argument against um but i think that was because i just didn't really fully understand it but uh after you know i i recently spoke with andrew polster about it um i don't know if you saw that video yeah. and i got some good knowledge out of that uh and i feel i felt a lot less concerned about it after speaking with him mm -hmm. even though he was um you know um arguing uh the kind of the normal fud that it's it's a flaw in monero but in, in talking with him, I kind of realized, uh, well, if, if, if the worry is uh, that quantum computers can secretly um, essentially create Monero, they could also, you know, break uh, Bitcoin's private keys, right? Uh, so I, it, it becomes, uh, if it's an argument against Monero, it's an argument against Bitcoin. 
And I think you in your recent posts uh, really covered it very well. And I'd like to go into detail on that. Um, is that something that you've been yeah. facing as well? Is that like uh, well, you've been hearing well, about it quite a bit? I mean, what's what's your overall opinion on on the on that okay. on that FUD? So, I mean, it's interesting because we, we kind of come at it from slightly different, but from a similar kind of angle, basically, like you're hearing. So, so, so what triggered me, I suppose, if that's the right phrase to use, um, was there was a particular member of the community. Um, I, I won't name names, but a particular member of the community that started basically saying that the because they couldn't audit the security of the commitments because there wasn't a, a formal order of the commitments and because the commitments were perfectly binding and only perfectly binding and i think this is the key word only um which which is bandied around you know um, only computationally binding yeah com right. computationally binding so so they were basically saying that that there was that there was you know uh, basically, potentially hidden inflation um, because of the fact that the because the commitments are only computationally binding, um, and I think that like it, it kind of triggered me because first and foremost the like the the the, the using the word only in there is 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 a kind of misdirection. Um, the the commitments are perfectly hiding and computationally binding it's not only using the word only doesn't doesn't really make any sense here um they're computationally binding and and as you say it's it's not really even about bitcoin like that that computational binding is the underpinnings of the uh, of, of all elliptic curve cryptography um, which is the, the, the hardness of the um, elliptic curve discrete logarithm problem. That is, that is underpinned in so any, basically any cryptography, any cryptography that uses elliptic curves, its underpinnings of its security are defined by the hardness of the elliptic curve discrete logarithm problem. So to use the word only, in the phrase of computationally binding, to say it's only computationally binding kind of really does it a disservice. Um, the side benefit of the of the commitments, the fact that they're perfectly hiding, is as I see it a side benefit. Like if if the, if the whole commitment was computationally um, secure, that's probably good enough. I mean, the fact that we're relying on computational hardness for other elliptic curve cryptography. I, I don't see the problem there. And so anybody that basically, without the understanding of that hardness, that then goes and, and starts basically saying that it's a weakness in Monero and that there's you know, a, a, a hidden inflation, a possible hidden inflation, based on that phrase of perfectly hiding and computationally binding, it's kind of nonsense. Um, and, and just to to kind of so I understand it and the audience understands um, the the real fear though is only in a scenario where or where quantum computers or some other amazing computing system can can kind of can break the discrete 
logarithm, right? I mean, exactly. that, that's what we're talking about. Exactly. So it's not, it's not that uh, there's a fear that there's hidden inflation today because we know no such computers exist today. It's this hypothetical uh, future where such computer exists. Is that is that correct? Well, it, it is. But this particular user that triggered me with what he was saying was basically he was insinuating that there was already like hidden inflation, and basically we couldn't we couldn't disprove it because there was no audit um, of, of uh, Pedersen commitments or Peterson commitments to be more accurate. So. That was what triggered me initially. It's slightly, slightly different from from what maybe triggered you, because mm -hmm. Bitcoin, you know, maybe Bitcoin maxim, maximalists. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 total nonsense, basically, to say that it's some um, it's some weakness in Monero, or to say that there is uh, hidden inflation because of the fact that the commitments are only computationally binding. There's no only about it. They're computationally binding, and that's good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's strong. Yeah, I mean, just to, to kind of zoom out, I mean, the, the real kind of fundamental argument or kind of dichotomy I'm seeing between uh, Monero and Bitcoin is uh, kind of this list of priorities of what, what you think is more important uh, so Bitcoin maximalists uh, in the, you know, uh, 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 Bitcoin core developer will tell you that the number one priority is security. And uh, that's the number one priority. Um, and that's why uh, they're hesitant to add things like confidential transactions. Uh, whereas in Monero, they'll tell you, well, you know, we want we want fungible digital cash and then we'll we'll worry about keeping it secure. Uh, we're, you know, uh, obviously security is important, but, but it's like, we don't, I, I mean, I don't want to speak for the whole community, but I don't really see the point of, of such, of such protocol. If it's not digital cash in the first place, what are we securing at the end of the day? If we haven't achieved digital cash and in yeah. Bitcoin, they've kind of, I felt like they almost even have kind of given up on the pursuit of being digital cash and saying, well, it doesn't really need to totally be fungible. You don't need privacy on the protocol level because that's a risk because then it may not be as secure, which I find odd because then they, they, they're, they're sacrificing security in other places. I mean, uh, Monero has the tail emission, which I think that's, that's a great thing for, for guaranteed security in the future. We know that Monero will always be distributed and, and mined by miners Whereas Bitcoin seems to be taking this risk and not really knowing what the future is going to be like in terms of securing the network. So I, I just see a lot of a lot of contradictions there. I, their argument seems to be that it's about security first, but there seems to be so many contradictions as well in, in that regard. Well, well, yeah, I mean, what, what you're talking about is essentially uh, somebody taking what is essentially a weakness in Bitcoin and trying to turn that into a positive thing. That's ultimately what we're talking about. Because, exactly. of course, there is no question about how much Bitcoin there is in existence. There is no question. It's completely auditable because it's all completely transparent. Um, and what secures Monero is math. So you, can't complete, you can completely see what's been omitted from the Coinbase transactions. So you know how much Bitcoin has ever been emitted in Coinbase transactions, but you can't you can't disprove 
um, that there isn't some hidden inflation, that, that, that basically somebody hasn't broken the discrete, discrete logarithm problem. Of course we can't, but then it's like saying, I don't know, you're basically, we're reliant on math, and, and the math here actually isn't that complicated. And this is the other thing that really triggers me, when, when somebody naively talks about a hidden inflation with regard to Peterson commitments. The math behind them is like grades, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm doing my American speak now, but I don't know who I was talking to. Grade school math, basically, what I would call high school math. It's not actually, it's not actually hardcore cryptography. It's, it, it's like anybody can look at, like anybody that can do grade school math can understand how Peterson commitments works. They're, they're, not, they're not that complicated. And so anybody that, that and I'm, look, I'm not, a, I'm not a hardcore cryptographer at all. Like I've had to work like with, you know, I, I discuss stuff with like people like NAC and the Monero Research Lab and, you know, all the other Monero people that have, have got a far greater understanding of a lot of the cryptography than I do. And like those, those posts, for example, I bounced them off, um, off NAC before I published them. Uh, just to be, you know, 100% sure that there was no, like, holes in them. Um, the math isn't that hard. So, like, the math itself is, is auditable. It gets a bit, a bit more complicated when you start looking at things like bulletproofs. The math there does suddenly start getting a lot harder. But we've only had those recent, you know, that's only a recent addition. And I would say that the math in bulletproofs isn't, you know, unauditable either. I mean, we've had it audited audited by was it three different three different companies mm -hmm. yes yeah, so i mean so the whole the whole argument also so seems to break down right if, if it's about security uh then bitcoin is really just as vulnerable as monero is on those in those terms because they both rely on this discrete logarithm not being broken Right? Yeah, it's not just Bitcoin though. I mean, it's it's basically anything that uses elliptic curve cryptography. So we're talking about browser certificates, you know, web certificates. We're talking about PGP keys. We're talking about SSH keys. We're talking about like pretty much everything that we use at the moment. We we rely on elliptic curve cryptography for so much stuff right now. So much stuff. And the hardness of elliptic curve cryptography is formed on the discrete logarithm problem. So essentially, if that if we have if we're in a situation where we have computers that are powerful enough to work out the discrete log, then essentially there's tons of stuff that's broken. It's not just it's not just our little project Monero. I mean, we're talking tons and tons of stuff. So, you know, and, and the other point is we are some way off having computers that are powerful enough to, um, to solve this. Uh, like the estimates that, that I've read on quantum computers ever, you know, becoming, you know, in existence to be able to do the, do the kind of crunching that we're talking about. You know, we, we're talking like estimates between kind of 20 and 40 years away. Um, 
and and obviously in the meantime uh monero is evolving it's not static um it's dynamic and attempting to to thwart some possible future attack and it's it's not just monero it's bitcoin that's going to need to be able to figure that out as well so yeah i mean it's it's interesting we like to, i don't want to go down this rabbit hole but like for example there's there's another type of commitment called a switch commitment which basically um which basically which basically switches to be uh perfectly bound and computationally hidden this is elgamel El- 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 is this the elgamel no, El- I'm, okay. El- I'm talking about okay. which commitment which at some point later in time will then switch so so at a point in time when the discrete logarithm problem is solvable um it you know you can flip a switch and basically the commitments are now this other type of commitment but again it's a commitment we're talking about a commitment which doesn't exist yet we're talking about a commitment which we don't have yet because we're we're reliant on elliptic curve cryptography at the moment we don't yet have quantum resistant uh, commitments so the whole the whole thing is is a is a silly silly argument basically i just want to make sure we fully cover what because you you made some great points in your post so uh, we covered the fact that you know if this is if this is a threat to uh, Monero, it's kind of equally a threat to Bitcoin, if not everything else in in you know the computing world. Um, and then you kind of you kind of got into well, you know, it was a, a design choice, right, to be perfectly uh, perfectly uh, hiding and computationally binding, um, and if we we could possibly choose the alter- alternative today using, I guess, Algamal. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah. Algamal commitments, which would kind of be the reverse. So you'd be per- uh, perfectly uh, binding and computationally hiding, but that would come at costs, uh, right? So those are, are I guess, much, uh, they require a lot more computation. They're more computationally heavy. Um, so that would come at costs there. And then you made another good point. There may be an additional reason why you wouldn't want to do that. So if you get into the two, the two reasons as to why uh, design choice, why why it, it it seems to make sense to to use the choice we currently have, which is these uh, Peterson commitments. So so I, I think so the the two key reasons why I think uh, using Peterson commitments now makes sense. So first and foremost is privacy. There's, there's nothing that will ever unhide the amounts in a Peterson commitment. They're, they are perfectly hiding. Right? And that's, e- that's even if, you know, uh, quantum computers. Exactly. Regardless what happens with quantum computing, they are perfectly hiding. That's just the fact. So regardless of what computational power we ever have in the future, we will never be able to unhide the amounts in the in the Peterson commitments. It's just it's just not feasible. So and no amount of math can get around that. So which brings us on to another point, which is the size of the Peterson commitments. So if we started using Elgamal commitments, we're essentially double the size of the commitments which get used in the transaction. 
And so we are going to create much bigger transactions straight away. So given that given that we've already identified that they're like the, the strength of the computational binding is considered strong at all other elliptic curve cryptography basically is underpinned by this strength and that we want small, fast commitments that are hidden as well. If at some point in the future, we, we start seeing that, you know, quantum computers are, are getting to a point where they may be able to, to, to break the, the discrete, discrete logarithm problem. Well, we've got an option to switch and we can switch and we can switch without ever unhiding any of the past amounts. The amounts will stay hidden for forever. So I think that is that is a like that is the trade-off that we make, essentially. Now we could go the other way around. We could say that we want to have perfectly bound commitments, um, but only computationally hidden. Well, the downside to there is we've, as I said, we've got a larger commitment, so our transactions get bloated, our blockchain gets bloated, um, all the work that you know that we've been doing to to constantly make our transactions smaller and our blockchain use up less disk space just gets blown out of the water because there's a lot of commitments in the transaction. Um, so we we'd have heavy transactions and. We still, we still don't, we still don't have a problem solved. In fact, if anything, we actually create a weakness, and that weakness being that the, the, at some point in time, all amounts, conceivably or, or, or likely will be, at some point in the future when we've got powerful enough computers, all those amounts will be unhidden, and there's nothing we can do about that. They will become unhidden permanently. So. I think the, the trade-off here is we've got, to, we, we've got time on our side. Everybody's got time on their side regarding elliptic curve cryptography um, for when quantum computers start becoming powerful enough to, to solve the problem. And uh, we can solve the problem as it's, as it's coming along. We don't need to solve it now. I'm convinced. <laughs> I'm not the best person explaining this. <laughs> no, I, I do appreciate those posts. Um, I think it, I think it's kind of about time we kind of dispel that fud. Uh, I'm not saying Monero is perfect by by any means. You know, we, we all realize it's kind of a it's a work in progress, like I any of these cryptos. But that that always seems to be the kind of the argument that could never be won against the the bitcoin maximalists and it's it's really just kind of absurd because it it applies to them as well uh well, if you if you everybody that uses elliptic curve cryptography right so so what if, what if we zoom out though uh or just so we're talking about you know uh the worry of you know secret inflation uh given the fact that we're you know perfectly uh uh perfectly blinding and computationally uh, binding. Uh, but what if we just wanted to audit the chain today? I mean, that needs to be understood as well, right? I mean, there is the, the chain is auditable, correct? I mean, with by verifying inputs and, 
equating them to outputs, right? I mean, there, isn't there, there are ways that that's done in Monero today as well? We can only audit in terms of the map. What we can't do, what we, what we can't do, because the amounts aren't shown, what we can't do, like Bitcoin, is prove for a fact that there is no in inflation. That's obviously, we can't. We can only prove it insofar as the math is solid. Um, and so all we can do is audit the math. We can audit the math and, and we can audit the chain based on that math. We can verify that the sum of all inputs um, minus the sum of all outputs doesn't create money. Right. Uh, but again, that's, that's using math. Um, it's not you know, looking at some transparent ledger. Um, so the the map has to be solid. There has to be no there has to be no mistakes in the map, um, and and that can be audited and it is audited like like our bulletproof audits. Uh, right, but it, but as long as the math is correct, then it's it's it is uh, it's very secure in knowing that it's audited when you when you look at when you can measure the sum of the inputs versus some of the outputs and exactly it's not. It's not some voodoo science here. It's 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 very straightforward as long as the math that's used to do it is correct. Yeah, exactly. If the math is correct and you and you you run the you you run the math over every um, every transaction on the blockchain, um, and then you can prove based on the fact that the math is correct that there's no hidden inflation. Um, but of course, it's not it's not quite the same thing as like like I said with Bitcoin, where it's completely transparent. You don't even need to run the math on it. That's the point. You you literally because the the values are there to be seen. Um, there is no there is no there is no reliance on the math. And I think I think this is what this is what kind of triggered me with with this particular individual. They were because they didn't understand the math. Perhaps they didn't do math at grade school. I don't know. Perhaps they haven't looked at looked at the the simplicity of the math in the Peterson commitments. Um, even the even the old range proofs were 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 easy to understand. I mean, bulletproofs, admittedly, for somebody that that isn't a cryptographer, has taken. I, I still couldn't say that I got my head around them. Um, but I trust that they've been audited by independent third parties. Um, so, like not understanding the math, it's it's easy to say, oh, it's not auditable. Because if you don't if you, if you don't trust the math, then you then you don't have the trust. It's it's as simple as that. Um, if you, if you can trust that two plus two equals four, then and you understand two plus two equals four, great. It, this, and, and, and obviously, that's a simple that's a simple math. Like the math involved with a Peterson commitment is slightly more advanced than that. It's like you know high school grade math. But um, if you can trust if you can trust that that simple math, then then it's cool. And also, you, 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 I suppose the other thing is you you still are trusting that the elliptic curve discrete logarithm problem is hard. We're all trusting that. That's right. one thing we all have to do. We're all trusting that in right. all of our in all of our cryptography. Of course, there, it, there, there's a possibility that some secret government agency's got some supercomputer that none of us know about um, that that can that can break the, the, the LP. But 
Right. But then everybody's exposed to that risk. Exactly. So, so what is your overall, I mean, we kind of tried to get into this in the beginning of the conversation a little bit. You, you came into Bitcoin, uh, then you, you, you played around with Bitcoin a little bit, you left, you came back, you got into Monero, but what is your overall kind of take on this concept of the fact that we, you know, we're here, we're trying to invent digital cash. Do you have an opinion there? Do you think it's about digital cash? Do you think it's about something else? Are you just here for the code? No, um, no I, 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 I actually, I very much um, uh, am into it from the digital cash perspective. Like, although I don't, I don't really like the term digital cash. I don't think. Yeah, if you if you have a better way of explaining it, I mean, that's that's really what I've arrived upon. Um, I like I like the I like the the notion of improving something, and and. Ultimately, Monero as a form of money, I think, greatly improves upon all other um, types of money that exist today. I think it's better than cash uh, because it's more advanced than cash. Like cash is, it's old and difficult. We've got to print the bloody stuff, and like there's there's central bodies in control of it. It's got all sorts of flaws. Um, so I think I think Monero and, and other currencies like it that are trying to, to basically be that um, that digital cash I think is is a great improvement on everything else that exists. Um, and I'm also incredibly I'm incredibly um, disheartened by what's happened with Bitcoin over the years. Um, in, in regards to the fact that, that there was this original, you know, if you go right back to the beginning, back to the white paper, there was this notion of creating a digital cash. Yet it's got some fundamental flaws in it that nobody's ever really addressed. And it seems like they never will, to be quite honest. I mean, What do you, what do you see as the flaws? Uh... I mean, the transparency, first and foremost. Uh, the fact that you can trace it means it's not cash. It doesn't act like cash. It's not. It's not fungible. Um, like I, th I think, you know, when you, and when you when you're talking about fungibility and traceability, for me, I think the the most important aspect of this is that you can censor it. Um, this notion that maybe I, as a merchant, receive Bitcoin from somebody. But then I can't use it anywhere because maybe that Bitcoin has been tracked as being involved in in a you know in some illegal activity. So nobody wants to touch it, which means that I'm holding Bitcoin, but I can't use it, uh, and and that defeats the whole purpose of cash. Yeah. So so it, it, it's it's more than just about personal privacy, which I I also do value greatly as well. Um, but fun fungibility is like it's like such an important part of Bitcoin that's completely missing. And I I will not be surprised if in you know years to come, when as I assume Bitcoin will never add fungibility to it, there will be a point where there are essentially what, what I call tainted Bitcoins, which nobody can use. Do you think, I mean, yeah, the way, 
for me, I mean, obviously that's that's uh, the way I look at it as well. I see fungibility as being kind of the uh, an essential ingredient to what this stuff needs to have. Uh, privacy is kind of you know uh, a side effect of it, and it's nice. It's a it's a nice to have thing that that comes with being fungible. Uh, I think it's but equally, I f- it's equally important, right? Yeah. Definitely equally important, but I, I kind of just look at it as kind of like on a, if you're if we're looking at this as a protocol for transferring value, I feel like the, oh, yeah. the most efficient one, the one that's going to win is the one that's most fluid. And that's where every unit equals every other unit. And that creates kind of this fluid protocol for, for value transfer where kind of nothing can be, can be stopped or censored. And you, it, it just will allow for the kind of the free flow of, of information in terms of value. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I can't disagree with that. And and I, and I think these are reasons particularly why Bitcoin is very disheartening. Um, I think it's going to have its use cases. So well, obviously has, I think. But I, I don't think it's any great improvement on on anything else. I think that's the, the bottom line. I mean, it, it has minor improvements, but it, it, it fundamentally fails because of the fungibility problem. It's- so seeing that we uh, completely, um, you know, uh, retorted against the perfectly hiding and computationally uh, binding argument, uh, what, what do you think are some of the other major uh, arguments against Monero, uh, you know, versus something like Bitcoin that, that, you know, maybe are valid or aren't valid, but that are kind of running through yeah. the back of your back of your mind? So I, I so. I, I don't like this question. Um, I don't like it because there's there's there is one uh, thing that I think is a con- like so far has been one of the the biggest pain points. I think is newcomers. I think it is difficult. I see uh, for people to to start using Monero straight away, even for people that are you know long used to using other cryptocurrencies it is it is it's a fact none of us can ignore it it is harder to get started with monero than anything else and i say this because i've got a really one of one of my best friends um who's been a friend since we were kids uh uh he i got him into monero um a couple of years ago and he's been like He's been quite into the cryptocurrency space for some time as well. Um, and he's, you know, he's not a, what I would call a, compu- a computer illiterate either. I mean, he's a, he's a smart guy and, um, he, you know, he's not a programmer, but he's, you know, he's a smart guy. He uses a computer. He does video editing. There's all sorts of, you know, he's, he's a smart guy. And he had all sorts of trouble with Monero. Like we're talking from like downloading the thing to installing it on Windows, getting antivirus pop-ups to like having to wait and download the entire blockchain. Like the different ways that you can use it, you don't even need to download the whole blockchain. You could use it, you know, you can use a remote node, but then you've got to explain the privacy uh, implications of using a remote node. And like the, the, the level of education is it's it's a lot it's a lot to take in for newbies and and i think that like 
there's a lot of people that are doing a lot that, that, that there is a continuous amount of work trying to improve it for people and and we shouldn't like we shouldn't take anything and, and i'm not taking anything away from all of the, the you know the people that are doing you know huge amounts of work for example on the the gui wallet which is you know i think it's fantastic i mean it's amazing considering that, that what it does um but we still it, it still doesn't solve that like anybody can use it like bitcoin literally anybody can download any number of bitcoin wallets and start using it very very quickly well i mean i, I think the phone app you know for me the big breakthrough was when cake came out and made the ios wallet yeah uh, and then my monero released which uh, my Monero super slick. I mean, as well. You know, it's. Uh, have you have you used either? Yeah. Of the, I'm sure you've used. Yeah, yeah. I've used all of them. Um, and then uh, Monero Monerouju. Um, so I mean, it's it's at the point where it's as simple as downloading an app on your phone. Um, you know, cake. Well, may, you know, it's a little cumbersome because you got to wait for things to download. But that's because you're. It's it's you know. You're 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 holding your own keys and all those things. But that it, depends on your threat model. Like it's like yes, I could I could recommend to somebody that basically wants to just start trying out Monero and you know isn't doing any transactions which they need to be um, they need to be private. So let's say a friend in a country that um, is has got an oppressive regime. Um, like there are situations where like, you know, so, so, so back to my example of my friend, you know, I pushed him into like essentially using the full wallet, uh, not the command line because I know that, you know, he's, he's not, he's, he's, he's not a command line user. Um, but he's more than capable enough of understanding the GUI wallet. But like the, as I say, that learning curve to, to get to using using Monero in its in what I would call its um, most sensible state to use it, which is using your own node. Um, yeah, the the you know the, the the my Monero is fantastic and Kate Wallet's great, but they you know they 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 have their drawbacks in that, that you know they you are trusting a third party to some degree. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think it's, it's pr at that point, I mean, even me being a, a, a pretty big idealist, I feel like, uh, especially with cake, cause you know, you're not, you're, you know, you're holding your own keys. Uh, at that point, it's really no different than Bitcoin. I mean, so do you not use, would you not recommend somebody to use a Bitcoin wallet on their phone either, like a bread wallet or something? Is that it's I, as I say, I, I think it's about not recommending it. I think it's a case of I wouldn't recommend somebody use uh, any wallet that's uh, using like third-party services if it's important that their transactions remain private. Mm -hmm. um, if as soon as you're as soon as you're using a, a third party node, a remote node, of course you're you're, you're risking your privacy. Okay, um, for the for the nodes, yeah. As I say, like I, I think I think yeah, I, and, so, and so my point is, I'm not I'm not taking anything away from the wallets like Cake Wallet or Mario. I think they're fantastic. 
and you know i think vic's great and endogenic's great you know they're, they're, you know what they're doing for the community is fantastic with these wallets and they are great for recommending to somebody that's just wanting to just play with monero let's say or they're they're wanting to to, to do transactions and they're not they're not they're not hugely worried about uh creating uh the most secure private transactions absolutely i i would you know 100 recommend them but i think you know ultimately i think for monero to you know you asked me what what i see as one of the one of the one of the negatives and i think one of the negatives is i think it would be fantastic if out of the can the core wallets so the core GUI um and the and the command line tools were like not simple to use so it was literally a case of you know it, it, there, there's no problem even today there's like little bugs with the cli i mean you know there's constantly bugs being fixed um it's just the nature of it and there's but but i think you know and there's a lot of work that's gone into improving the performance so for example all the work that's been done on pruning is fantastic you know it, you know the resources required um for running a full your own full node wallet are drastically reduced once the once the pruning gets released uh, in the coming weeks um you know there's, there's other stuff as well like you know with i2p when 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 that becomes more integrated with monero again we're adding another layer of privacy without people having to worry too much about like setting up i2p or tour or whatever like the the more we can make it like out of the can simple to use for newbies the better it will be i think oh 100 percent. so do, do you do you think there's some kind of fundamental uh you know fundamental things that may prevent us from getting there or it's just yeah. kind of a matter of time and putting in the effort and uh, enough people paying attention to it it's definitely the latter i mean it is just time i mean it's it's like the more developers that we that we have that are, that are helping, the, the better it will be. Um, you know, like I, I could count on my hand the, the amount of people that are working full time. Actually, I can count on top of my hand the people that are working full time on the code base. Um, you know, there isn't. We don't we don't have the benefit of some like you know dev fund basically you know a mind a secret mind dev fund or anything like that we're we're reliant on the community to fund any full-time developers and you know i think that we've really only got one full-time developer uh paid to work on the monero core proper uh that being monero mood um not that not that this is a required thing either like that we fund you know tens of developers but i'm saying that i think I think to, to 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 improve just requires time and development, basically. And so, the more people that contribute, the the more effective we can we can improve the code. Um, yeah, there's no there's no silver bullets, but but time. All right. Uh, anything else? You oh, actually, I guess one other question. Back to just to jump back for one second. Um, we talked about. Uh, using uh, Peterson versus the Algomal, but is there is there potentially some other perfect solution where you're perfectly binding and perfectly uh, uh, hiding as well? No, 
like you you like mathematically can't have both um so i just wonder hear hear yeah. from the horse's mouth yeah no no you 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 mathematically can't have both um so uh so yeah and then uh real quick you touched on the i2p are you involved in that as well i think we had chatted a little bit about or is that something yeah. in here i mean loosely um loosely uh, riding off the coattails of others i would say um so uh vt nerd uh lee did a great um uh, did a did a commit to basically create a tighter integration with Tor, uh, with Monero. Um, and I then extended the, the work that he did to basically allow that to work with I2P. Uh, at the same time, uh, NAC had basically found a way of uh, taking the Java I2P and uh, wrapping that as a as a standalone um, runtime without requiring Java be installed um, using a, a more recent Java technology, uh, J modules and J link, and um, and this was really actually this is this is worth talking about. I mean, this is such a really important aspect of like the evolution of I 2 P and Monero. So as you know, we we had funded um, the development of Covery, um, which seemed to grind to a halt. And there was lots of us that were, you know, were and still are very eager to have um, I2P integration in Monero. And, uh, you know, at some point that being like a default, essentially. So, you know, somebody downloads uh, the Monero wallet, you know, the official wallet, it by default, um, operates over I2P or Tor, basically a, a hidden network instead of uh, over ClearNet. That's you know that's that's an ambition that certainly many of us would love to see happen. The, the one of the key problems was with I2P. Uh, the 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 core work of I2P is in the Java implementation of it, and. Um, I don't really want to rehash a lot of the, like how it got to this point, but basically it got to a point where, where NAC was very much wanting to make use of the Java I2P um, code. It's the, the most um, actively developed. It's the, you know, it's, it's essentially the reference implementation. Um, it's the most used um, implementation. And so finding a way of taking that, that existing code and, 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 and wrapping it in such a way that it could be at some point parceled along with Monero um, is a fantastic, uh, fantastic, a fantastic achievement that he managed to do there. And, you know, the, 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 it's, it's, it's fantastic. I2P0 is, um, you know, it's, it's very lightweight. It's completely self-contained. Um, and, and so I, I basically spent some time helping, helping that in whatever way I could. So some of that was some, some scripts. Uh, some of that was just discussing with him on how, how, how we would implement the integration with Monero. Um, 
and actually spent you know a lot of time with him and testing and helping helping fix scripts and stuff like that and uh, and and as I say then then riding off the Lee's coattails with the with his tour work to deal with the Monero side of it and I think you know when when we get this this initial our next release of Monero in the coming days weeks whatever it is now I don't know uh, very soon uh, hopefully there's going to be a lot more people that start uh, start using I2P and Tor uh, using th this integration basically so at what point do you think it will be kind of like seamlessly integrated and you know essentially everybody will be using uh, be using it so I think like getting it getting it actually seamlessly integrated with the Monero code base is obviously going to require a lot of people to agree on you know what I2P implementation gets included, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's lots of different ways it can be done. You know, there's also other work being done right now on Tiny2P, um, which is another I2P implementation. So I don't want to preempt like you know the, the you know everybody else's opinion on how we should move forward i think what's so what i'm so happy about this this late the latest code that's gone into monero from from uh vt nerd and myself is that we now at least have a way where that integration is starting to to be how we need it basically we you know we we need we need that easy integration of that layer, the I2P and Autor layer, and the Monero uh, code base. And the way that's done at the moment is, you know, using the SOX proxy. Um, and uh, so transactions can be broadcast over I2P, but you can, you know, optionally sync uh, sync blocks over ClearNet, or you can sync them over I2P. Well, when I say I2P, I mean I2P auto. Like the integration allows either to be used, either or both, even. Um, so I think I think we we've I think we've hit a major milestone. Is my point? I think this this is a major milestone towards um, a larger I2P slash tour and Monero integration. All right. Yeah. And no, I'm. I'm I'm trying to follow that as closely as I can. Um, got a little lost with the Covery thing. I know that was kind of the the original yeah. go at it, and then there was some drama there. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm glad we're still chugging away and trying to come up with uh, an alt alternative solution. I think one of the one of the nice things, if if we can say that, that's come out of that whole debacle, is that I think there is kind of there is now a tighter kind of knit group of people that are working loosely together on, on furthering the, the goals of making use of a, a privacy overlay network, whether that be Tor or I2P. But as I said, we've got a couple of different implementations of I2P now. That are, so we've got Tiny2P, which is... Uh, at its infancy at this stage, but like you know, it looks promising. We've got ITP zero, which is usable right now. We've got the integration um, at the Monero end for Tor and ITP. 
Um, there's also other work that, that I know is being done by by me on, uh, on a, I don't want to I don't want to speak for him, but there's some other interesting things that he's working on. I know as well. Um, I think we've now got a, a, a small group of people that are that are working much more collaboratively together on this, whereas I think before the, there was there was a little bit of hostility. Um, but certainly between Covery and uh, the original ITP guys, there was a lot of hostility and uh, and another implementation of ITP. Um, bridges were almost completely burnt, I would say. Um, and I think NAC particularly um, has managed to form what I would call a much more fruitful relationship with the ITP developers now as well. So. It's uh, it's interesting uh, the human element uh, in in you know not just in Monero obviously in Bitcoin and crypto in general uh, um, it's constantly coming into play here it's the tech the tech seems to be the easy part yeah maybe yeah <laughs> you're right I mean there is that human element that I think it, like is important I mean we're you know we're talking about we want to have good relations with people that are, you know, working on other projects, doing other cool shit, basically. Right. Right. So, but, uh, it's coming together. So are you going to, speaking of the human element and, and getting together, are you coming to Denver to the Monero con? Yes, I am. I am. I'm, uh, I'm slated to do a, a, a talk at the Monero con. Oh, you are. That's yeah. Great. Yeah. When, can you reveal what it's, uh, kind of general topic uh yes about mining um, okay uh which maybe is not a surprise to some given the amount of time i've put into uh my mining pool implementation yeah i feel bit we didn't even really talk about that today but that's no, all right we'll, we'll, save, we'll save it for the talk yeah and, uh, I, mean, I, I i'm not particularly talking about that implementation it's more more mining in general um but yeah, no, I'm really excited about this conference. Actually, uh, there it's a great opportunity to for, for anybody who's not booked a ticket yet. Uh, I would strongly recommend doing so. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of Monero developers there. Um, it's, it's not going to be some <laughs> like a lot of the the conference circuit at the moment in the cryptocurrency community. There's going to be no ICOs pitching their latest token um you know this is a this is essentially it's it's our conference yeah no it's it's incredible uh it's gonna be it's very intimate affair too i think only 300 people max not even that are going to be there uh so you know it's if i was a monero person uh i would i would certainly make my way over to denver yeah i mean it's we've got such a great uh great crew of people going i mean everybody that 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 i know in the monero developer community uh you know tons of them are coming um there's like it's a like i'm looking forward to it like i'm and i, and I don't particularly like conferences um i'm really looking forward to this one uh and uh, catching up with a lot of the the other monero developers there very cool. I don't know if you saw on Friday. Are you going to get into town early? Or are you going to get into town? Yeah, I'll be in. I'll be in town early. Yeah, I saw you. Uh, you set up a, a shindig. Casa de Monero. Uh, so <laughs> it was, you know, success in New York. So we're we're taking it on the road. 
Great. Uh, up Casa de Monero. Uh, ideas to get as many people as we can from the conference over there. So it'd be great to see you. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. All right, Matt. Thank you so much for doing the show. I know you're a little hesitant, uh, you know, not wanting to kind of be in the limelight over here, but yeah. I appreciate it. I know the community certainly appreciates it. Uh, and once again, uh, this was kind of a, a topic that I've been waiting to really tackle. So uh, thanks for uh, offering all your knowledge on it. Um, I hope I answered some of it. Some, some you definitely it. did. And, I, you know, uh, I, anybody who's listening, I recommend you to go, you know, read the articles. I posted them as well, uh, you know, that you, that you published on it. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you, Jethro. Cool. Well, pleasure speaking to you again. All right, you too. Be in touch. Take care, buddy. Bye.